welcome to the Eat the Evidence podcast, a show for cake and cookie decorators and sugar artists of all kinds. I'm your host, Kimberly Chapman, and this is episode number 68 on February 24th, 2022. On this episode, I'm joined once again by the Merry Mischief Bakers, Ted Scooty, Yvonne Darby, Adam Starkey, Tim Stewart, and Sachiko Winvale, who have once again come in first place at the National Gingerbread House Competition at the Omni Grove Park Inn in Asheville, North Carolina. Ted, Yvonne, and Adam are here representing the team to tell us all about their latest winning piece and to share more tips and tricks about creating and traveling with gingerbread art. So whether you're working on a competition or collab piece of your own, getting client cakes and cookies ready for your next batch of orders, or, like some of us, still on relative sugar arts hiatus during this pandemic that is still not over, regardless of what any government likes to pretend. Let's get this show started to remind you that wherever you are on your sugar arts journey, you are not alone. Joining me now from Mary Mischief Bakers are Ted and Yvonne, and hopefully Adam will be joining us soon. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Kimberly. It's great to be on. And uh, as I was just saying to you in the in the preamble, um, I, someday I need to release the preambles because we, you know, there's always such good talking. Um, but uh, <laughs> I've been watching your videos all day, and and I do have. To, I want to hear all about your big win. I want to hear all about how you made everything, the stuff that you're willing to tell me. But I feel like based on last year's uh, uh, podcast when you had all these stories and stuff for me, I feel like I almost need to open on the caring, nurturing front and ask, was there any flooding? And Yvonne, what's wrong with your leg? And are you okay? <laughs> and do you need rescue? Because I'm a little bit worried for you at this point. <laughs> I had no flooding this year. Woohoo! That's better than Jackie Kelly. <laughs> yeah, I'm still working on rebuilding the um, the studio, though, believe it or not. Oh, God, no, I believe and, it. Yeah, it's just a long process, and partly because my regular business has been extremely busy since COVID, and um, I don't, I just have not had a lot of extra time right. to devote to the rebuilding and, and also, you know, any cookies or cakes or treats this, this past year. And I, what happened to my ankle was in October, I fell down my staircase and broke my ankle. Oh, no. Right before all the, yeah. the trip. <gasps> right before. Yep. Right before I was to um, travel. Ted, what was my original date? Was it the 1st of November that I was heading out to you guys? Yep. That sounds right. Yeah. So that was originally when I was going to head to, to Phoenix, but I was... First, going to stop at Sachiko's and pick up her pieces, and then drive on to Phoenix, and spend about a week, and um, you know, help put together the the piece. And um, with my ankle, it kind of put it all the the dates out of um, what the original plan was to be. Yeah, because I I wanted to try to get as much PT in locally as possible, and. The drive just wasn't going to be possible with the way my ankle was. But uh-huh. being the extremely awesome team that we are, Adam um, threw out there that he would fly into L.A. and then drive to Sachiko and grab 
her pieces and then drive down to me and pick me up. And we would drive on to Phoenix together. So that way I could keep my foot elevated and, um, you know, and, and not have it down for the whole drive. And that's what we ended up doing. So um, that's Ted. Yeah. Remind me when we got there. I don't even remember. Um, um, it's a little bit of a blur. It wasn't that many days off of the original plan. Um, right. And, and, no, it wasn't. And then um, Yvonne was able to find a local physical therapist um, who she worked with, who actually, if I recall, you actually liked him better than the one you had in San Diego. Um, I loved him. He was awesome. <laughs> that's <Yes>. good. So, <laughs> You know, if, if anything, the Mary Mischief Bakers are flexible um, yes. and pretty resilient. Right? <laughs> I think so, you yeah, have okay. to be at this point. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. It's like, okay, so this is this year's one of our challenges. Okay, so how are we going to address this? And you know what? We just take things in stride and make it work. That's really yep. all you can do, right? Right, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was concerned that Yvonne, you know, we we were concerned that it wouldn't you wouldn't be able to travel, but you were quite the trooper, and um, you know, did oh, remarkably well. Ha- yeah. yeah, I was going to make it happen no matter what. And and as it worked out, Kimberly, initially I was going to to go to Phoenix and then come back home and spend maybe a week before traveling to Asheville, and um, I just ended up staying the whole time. And we, you know, the the one who ended up joining us the night before was Sachiko and then we all flew out together mm-hmm. but um Ted and Adam are so hospitable they have the most awesome um guest room and bed that is like so comfortable I actually hated going back home to sleep <laughs> in my hard bed they're so soft and comfy the pillows are comfortable and the the comforter so I love staying there and I think it was like three weeks that I was with them before we went on to Asheville (laughs) so it was like I moved in temporarily with them (laughs) but really that time went by in a flash because we were working so fast and so hard on the gingerbread (laughs) it felt like maybe a week maybe it just I know by so that that is the thing and you know this year was very similar to last year in that you know we do all live in separate locations and so we all kind of come together at the very end and then make all the magic and put it all together and that was um, definitely the case this year the one thing that that was awesome this year though was um, Sachiko was able to join us in Asheville which was amazing Um, Mm -hmm. in part because that meant that she could um, repack her figures um, here in Phoenix, uh, which she did very, very quickly. took me eight hours to unpack them. She had them packed in like two hours. Um, And then she was actually able to make more figures of the little elves while we were in Asheville, which was awesome. So, um, and she also made the documentary. You mentioned the YouTube video you were watching. Sachiko made that while traveling and working on the piece, which she's, she's also like a filmmaker. I didn't know that. Yes, it was very cute. I, I have to admit, I get motion sick real bad with wiggle cam. So I was doing a lot of um, skip, oh. skipping through, pausing, looking what was on the screen, uh, watching. Okay, Got they're it. eating now. I don't need to see the meeting. It's very cute that you're all eating. But so if, if someone doesn't have motion sickness, it's like really cute. But I was skipping through for how did they make that? <laughs> what did they do over there? What's over here now? Uh, but that's that's when I saw you getting this. Like, what? why is Yvonne in a wheelchair getting in? And I, I had the thought of, well, surely they're not just using a wheelchair to put the cake in. I don't think they'd push it that far. And I don't think the airline would let them. But it's at the end when you're showing off. The, we call those boots because I had one for an entire Austin Cake Show and, you know, weeks before, weeks okay. afterwards. So we, we called that Mr. Stinky. So I know you know what I mean. 
because uh, you can't, you're not allowed to wash parts <laughs> of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So when I said again to my husband, I said, uh, you should see I- Yvonne's wa- doing this whole thing and she's got a Mr. Stinky on. He knew exactly what I meant. So, <laughs> but, and you're comparing yeah. it with the other competitor who had a Mr. Stinky on too. Is that, there was a photo of you. No, she was she wasn't another competitor. She was, she actually worked at the restaurant or hotel. Oh, okay. That we went to for dinner. And it was funny because hers was on the opposite leg. So we said we were, you know, a matching couple. Yeah. T- together you can do a three-legged race. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. In a lot of pain. But <laughs> yeah. Right. No, because I was in one of those for like <laughs> six months. So I know. I, I know. It's Oh, my. But Holy it's moly. it was sweaty and horrible. And uh, yeah, whole cake show. <laughs> whole well, Austin walk, cake well, show. Walking. Walking in that Mr. Stinky boot is not the easiest thing either. No, but the, I lost weight when I was doing it because it was the first time I hadn't hurt in like three years. Mm. So I started walking everywhere. I'm like, all of a sudden, like, are, are you okay? I'm going to put this baby in a stroller. I'm going to walk around. We're going to, we're going to do parks. And, and then the podiatrist found out, he goes, you're not supposed to be walking so much. Stop it. <laughs> I'm like, damn it. Oh, <laughs> so how sad. I know, but, uh, that's why I'm writing a Star Trek book about a woman with one leg. So, yeah, it's yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I under, I was immediate oh. once I saw it in those pictures, I was immediately sympathetic to your pain <laughs> and, so, and, and your yeah. itching and your sweating and your inability to just take it off. And I so understand everything by that one picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not fun, but yes, that's why I really wanted to keep up with the PT because I wanted it. Right. healed as quick as possible yep and i wanted it to be like for my ankle to be as normal as possible after because i started roller skating oh wow and in De- yeah and in december i was scheduled to be i i joined this like precision um roller skating team and we had a show in december and I was really sad because i knew i probably wasn't going to be able to to skate in the the show because of my ankle and it being too soon you know for it to be back to normal and I was they they were really cute they made a little routine that was easy enough for me to skate in and not have to do the big routine so I still made the show not the whole big show but the the part of the like the little intro part but um all your teams are so wholesome Yeah. <laughs> You're surrounded by so wholesomeness. That's so good. But it, like I was going to jokingly open with hope we're having many floods this year. And then I saw this. And I'm like, what'd you do? <laughs> Did you slip in another flood? Because again, I have Jackie Kelly on every year and there's been another flood. So it's become the, the uh, sugar arts and f- household studio flooding podcast. So, <laughs> God. But, Thank goodness. No flood. We're done with floods. Right. Okay. But let's get to the, the awesomeness of the piece. I mean, okay, here's a good place to start because it kind of starts at the beginning of your planning is talk to me about, because this is, this piece was a carousel. Obviously we'll have pictures in the show notes and all that stuff. Uh, talk to me about the inspiration carousels you went to and how the, the arduous research of riding on a carousel all the time. (laughs) Right. So the way this all began actually was um, we um, would 
kind of like we did the year before, but the year before was COVID. Well, you know, we're still in COVID actually, but uh, oh, yeah. anyway, it was a little bit, uh, we were doing this for the second time around. So we started out and we did a zoom call where we were discussing ideas and we have a list of ideas, but, and I, and I like collect photos for those ideas, which I then share with the team through Dropbox so that when we're talking, we can see things. And the night before we were going to have the zoom, um, I was in Pinterest and this crazy Christmas carousel popped up. And I was like, that's a really interesting idea. So I went to the manufacturer's website and I got some more photos and I threw that in at the very bottom of the list as like a final idea. And we went into the call and uh, Tim Stewart, uh, one of our other team members, went to that set of photos immediately and was like, what's this carousel? And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about the carousel. Uh, and the whole team really liked the idea. So we had already planned that we were going to go to San Diego and have our first actual in-person meeting of the whole team ever. And I think we did that Yvonne, was that in May? Does that seem right? That sounds right, yes. I think, yeah, it was May. Uh And we we then decided we're doing the carousels. And then Yvonne was like, well, you know, there are historic carousels here in San Diego. Um, So we were all about a field trip. And we went to two. One of them is in Balboa Park. And the other one, is it Seaport Village? Is that the other one, Yvonne? That's correct. And the one in Balboa Park was actually under renovation. So it was closed to the public. Um, but Yvonne is an amazing people person. So (laughs) she started chatting with the gentleman doing the renovation and explained who we were and what we were doing. And all of a sudden, all five of us were inside the torn apart carousel, (gasps) taking photos. That's so awesome. (laughs) That's wholesome too. Oh my God. Wholesomeness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it was all boarded up and closed. Like, you know, no one was supposed to be in there. And, um, yeah, I just explained, you know, why we were there and we were so excited to, to look at it. And, you know, is there any possibility of at least just taking a peek? And he was very gracious. I actually still need to try. I've, I've been trying to get in contact with him because I want him to know what, you know, his gesture did because mm. it really, it, it really gave us, it, it excited us so much. Right, Ted? Like, we were so oh, inspired yeah. by that. That is, I mean, and, it's and amazing. That's just so nice. Oh, thank you. And that, the Seaport, I'm sorry, the Balboa Park one had really interesting animals, which was kind of fun because we went in a little bit of a non-traditional direction. But then it was also cool to go down to Seaport Village because that one we could actually ride. So we Mm -hmm. did actually then ride that carousel as well. So we kind of got the full experience between the two. That's that's a lot of fun. I mean, there's, again, when my eldest one was little and she was four and we took her to New York City for, um, we lived in New York City for a month. And I, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours riding the one at the uh, the Bronx Zoo, which is all insects, which I'm not happy about. <laughs> but we would because we had a, if you buy a pass, you get unlimited rides. So we would ride, go to the uh, end of the queue, which was two people, <laughs> and get right back on. And just can you imagine being four years old and your mother just takes you. On like hours of carousel rides, and so you get to ride How every single thing fun. on the carousel. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. That's awesome. I'm a good mommy sometimes, but you uh, are. but but yeah, I mean, because you know, it's nice being on those things. And I say that again, as someone who gets motion sick, it's there. It's it's very relaxing. You could kind of sleep <laughs> on it. <laughs> And, and, and they don't make you motion sick? That's amazing. No, because I know how to, I look out. I never look at oh, the mirrors wow. in the middle. That's, that's, okay. that's death trapped to my brain in there. But if I, if I face outwards and I, if I can feel wind on my face, 
then I uh, I can look at because then that's uh, stimulating the feeling of the motion, right? Um, okay. But yeah, carousels are just there's something magical about them, and sweet, and wholesome, and beautiful, and some of them are so artistic. Yeah. At the time, though, what I didn't realize was um, how complicated they are as a structure to plan. And <laughs> yes. <build>. Yes. <laughs> well, all right. Let's talk about that. The the physics and the math and the angles and the degrees, because I saw you in one of these videos talking about that. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, um, I made... You know, when I was in high school, I paid like some attention in geometry, but really not as much as I probably should have. If I'd have known <laughs> later in life, I'd be doing this kind of stuff. Um, and you definitely learn how involved octagons are. Right? Yes. The carousel really involves a lot of octagons. So in truth, this was really a lot of trial and error. So what I did this year, like I did the year before, is I built a three-dimensional model in foam core. Right. But the year before was much easier because that was like a stage set, basically, right? So it was like a couple walls with one angled wall in the corner. And, you know, not too hard to build. This was much more challenging. So it actually took me, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit, four months and um, 1,000 exacto blades uh, and like four cases of foam core to finally get this right. I believe um, it. I Yeah. Yeah. It's way yeah. more complicated. Yeah. 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 I mean, okay, so how many Because how many pieces did it end up being? Oh, the actual like cookie count and everything? Yeah. Oh, Do you know off the top of your head if you probably, don't? I it's like probably 150. Yeah, cuz it's like it's not just a couple of walls like you're saying. It's it's all those individual and then on the bottom cuz you have those recessed portions. Correct. Yeah. So, like, because yeah. just to make yourself have to make more, because that's what competition does to you. But. <laughs> right. Well, and like those resource portions, it's funny you mentioned those, because we ended up making the um, the part that's cut out ends up making a very thin piece of cookie that's left at kind of the top, the flat part. It's very narrow. It's like less than a half an inch wide up there. Right. Um, so then the cookies kept breaking. So I ended up having to make pastillage supports that go uh -huh. in the back of all those cookies so that they they actually have like a skeleton behind them so they would stop breaking. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of that kind of work toward the end that was a surprise as well. Um, but yeah, the, the planning was very, very involved. The original version that, that I brought to our meeting in May of the foam core model was super bulky and very, very heavy looking. And then it took a lot of refinement to get it to look much lighter and more elegant. So it was it was a it was quite the process, I must say. Yeah, because it looks like uh, I mean it doesn't look like gingerbread. That's part of the magic, right? Like it looks it looks like a toy. Like it looks it, you know it doesn't look plastic. It looks wooden. It looks like a wooden toy. Right. Um, yeah. Like a but like balsa wood. It doesn't look like you know chunks of mahogany. It looks it looks like a delicate toy um, and. Uh, yeah, I know exactly how hard that can be. I mean, okay, right today on my Facebook, um, and to, just so the listeners know, we're recording this on uh, February 7th, um, so if the word goes weird between now and then, who knows? Uh, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, today on February 7th, I shared like a memory from like um, four years ago where I would have been doing a competition piece, and I used the um, Bart Simpson lines on the chalkboard generator to say something like, I will not touch my pastillage before it's dry. I will not touch my pastillage before it's dry. <laughs> because that means four years ago, I touched my pastillage before it was dry and I paid for it and probably had to make some more. Right. 
Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, all the pastillage for this dried for two weeks in the food dehydrator. Yeah. Um, and it and you're right. You have to let it dry. And once it's dry, it's very sturdy. But man, if you touch it in between, not pretty. Yeah. Uh, and the bigger yeah. the bigger the piece, or or if you have to flip it or anything because you know it wants to yep. dry badly if it's sitting on things. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. that's yep. nerve wracking. Yep. Uh, yeah, lots of flipping, lots of rotating. Some pieces broke during that process as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I make double of everything I need. Yeah, um, same. Funny because Adam used to make fun of me, and then we used <laughs> almost everything we took to Asheville this year. He was like, "Well, I'm never going to say anything again about the extra pieces because uh, we <laughs> yeah. actually don't have enough of some of the stuff." I was like, "Yeah, it's okay." Yeah, when I made that Da Vinci uh, gingerbread cookie, I made at least three or four. I mean, not just for experimenting it, but because if you're sanding cookies, oh, they're, you're breaking some. You're just breaking exactly. some. Yeah, um, by their nature, they're just so fragile. Exactly. Yep. And that piece we talked about before, because uh, it was similar to your pet piece. That, the, in fact, that that would have been the pastillage I was talking about. The Christmas thing I did with the pets for Cake International, where I'd made all the bricks, like you've made all the floor tiles on this carousel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was the it was the big inner panel of the wall that had like the cutout for the window and the fireplace. Um, so I probably I probably messed up because I ended up making two. I would, and. I do know that, like, to flip it, you put it between two cutting boards, right? Like, yep. don't, don't, yep. but this is the tip for anyone doing this. Never try and flip your damp pastillage by hand. No, board it up, <laughs> flip it. Like exactly. You'd, yep. Like, like you'd flipped an iced cake. You have supports. But, yep. um, but yeah, that was, that, uh, you know what? Time is so weird now. <laughs> How long ago was four years ago? 30,000 years last week? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, you, you got to make everything so many times if it's something that you can't afford for the time to make again. Exactly. It's, I find it's, it's more efficient to just make extra pieces while you're already making versus having to make some later, even if you have the time to do it. By the time you make more pastillage and then you roll yep. it all out again, cut it all to size, it just, it's way more efficient to just make twice as much as you need and hope for the best. Yep, you've so. got the tools there. You've got your measurements out. You don't need to remeasure. Yep. You've got, just do it. Any yep. crucial thing twice, because you know what? Even if you don't break it, now you have a spare piece of pastillage. Yeah, and later on, you may find a use for it. Right? Yeah. But at least you have it when you needed it, versus it's not good to need something and not have it. So Yeah, or if you're, if you're doing a bunch of um, royal icing transfers, do like the, mm. a sheet full if you're if you can if you have time your hand can take it, um, because yep. uh, I do you know how many tubs I have. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't eat them at this point, but like you know, hearts and eyeballs and little feathers and like because I needed to make this many for this project, and I'm and I, any that weren't perfect, but are still usable. They're in tubs. Yep. Because they keep yep. forever, yep. and then you can stick them on something else, even if it's just as a support for something else later. Exactly. Yep. Same way with gingerbread. You mentioned the floorboards, so that was an interesting project this year. So oh, I put that one on. There's over 1,000 planks in the floors, uh-huh. um, <laughs> and they're done in 10 different shades of ginger clay so that we get that variation. And I actually mixed the ginger clay and matched it to the maple floor we 
have here in the house that Adam and I have. Oh, it's because sick. it's so hard if you're not matching to real wood to try to envision the colors. Mm-hmm. So I just matched it to our actual floor. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. But yeah, but ginger clay shrinks. I think we talked about this last year. It shrinks like about 30%. So we found to kind of mitigate the shrinking that we used special molds to make the floorboards, but we found if we kept them in the molds for three days in the dehydrator, they wouldn't shrink as much. So oh, interesting. unfortunately, as a result, it took, yeah, it took six weeks, though, to make the floor because you could only make a batch basically every three and a half days. Right. So... Okay, but now I'm, I'm yeah. sitting here wondering about the physics of this. Like, okay, because if it's not shrinking, where is the shrinkage? Like, is it more aerated? Because you have, you, you know, conservation of mass applies, right? Like, you, it's got to be going somewhere. So if they're staying bigger, so, they must be more aerated inside. Or, or my theory is maybe, so as they were settling, they would kind of like settle down into the mold. And so in shrinking, they became thinner in terms of losing width, if that makes sense. Okay. Oh, so you're saying it shrank on a different dimension. I think so. Okay. Because of the way we held it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So you may not have noticed, like if it was the backside that you're not using, you wouldn't have noticed it as much. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. You could see that. Because I can also see that just the medium itself would not, if it was slightly adhered, you know, to the sides of the mold, I could see that it would almost hold it open. And if if the material had elasticity enough that it could it could effectively dry in a more porous state. I'm not a physicist, I swear. I just talk like right. this all the time. <laughs> this is why I write Star I Trek books. I thought you were. No, I have a degree in journalism and anthropology. <laughs> I'm just really nerdy. Um, and well, because like, okay, you were explaining to, I, I've already forgotten which, one of the people interviewing you in one of these videos, you were explaining about the construction gingerbread and versus, you know, the different kinds and, and the whole thing about, uh, you know, avoiding the hygroscopic or the, the water absorbing of gingerbread. Mm-hmm. Because this is a thing that's come up on this podcast several times. It may have even been to you guys last year that I promised I was going to do a, a blog post on it. And I, it came up again with Stacey Frank when she was first on. And then it came up in the discussions when they were on the episode that's just previous to yours. So at some point I should finish this thing, but yeah, because it does turn into a sponge Yes, it, mm-hmm. and it'll pull very all the moisture so. out. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and we're very, very fortunate that, that Adam and I live here in Phoenix, right? Because this is like the perfect location for gingerbread because it's, it's very dry here. And yes, the gingerbread at times, if it's like monsoon season, we'll pick up a little bit of moisture, but nothing like when we take it to Asheville where we actually drop it off. So, you know, for folks that live in, and there are many amazing gingerbread artists that work in the Southeast, but they all have like gingerbread rooms where they have dehydrators going and heaters blowing all the time because you can't just leave gingerbread sitting out. It's exactly like you described, Kimberly. It's a sponge. It'll just soak water up and become mushy in no time. I took videos of one of the collab pieces I did Oh, it was the dragon, the the rainbow dragon. Um, so that because the outside scales were all the the fortune cookie dough, but the inner part was was gingerbread, and it 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 slowly sort of sank over on its supports over time. Um, and then my husband was in the middle of one of his Zoom meetings because the the what used to be the playroom is now the office because he hasn't left the house in two years either. Um, and but it's also kind of where stuff gets shunted, you know. And so this gingerbread dragon was in there. He was in the middle of like a work meeting, but all of a sudden this dragon just went flop and fell over really loudly. 
<laughs> but so like later I went in and I, I, I took a video and I need to post it on the blog um, of me picking up the pieces and just how it's like sand in my hand. And like that was Julia Usher construction gingerbread, yeah. right? That's like serious construction yep. gingerbread. And even it had picked up that much because it had been raining for three weeks and everything in the house was damp because it's England. Ugh. Yeah, I can, like, if you take gingerbread, like, again, the Da Vinci piece, I, it was dry here in England when I made that. I took it to Austin and we had just the worst weather that year. Like, gale force winds and, and rain and sleet and thunderstorm. It was horrible. Um, and the piece in, t- from taking from Kyla's air-conditioned house... To the venue, it picked up so much water that the mechanism stopped working. Mm. Yeah, so it yes. really pulls. It happens so fast. Yes, it's yeah. it. And then you can't get it out. You can't just put the Stacy and I talked about this on her episode. You can't just put it back in the oven. It doesn't. No. It's not like other things that you can just dry. It's not like gum paste that you can just dry it back out. Once it's in there, the crystalline structure has changed. Yes, it's a very yeah. It's it's funny. Gingerbread is kind of a very um, uh, challenging medium. Yeah, as a yeah. result. It's so good at so many things, but once you get that moisture into play, like you're kind of you're kind of lost at sea all of a sudden because you a little bit you you can't recover. And I guess to some extent, if you've got extra pieces and they've all been plastic wrapped and in a sealed tub, now you've got a backup. But if you pull exactly. out your backup yeah. in a monsoon, your backup's only got forty eight hours too. So right, and it depends on how far along you're built. Right? Yeah, because exactly. Like with our carousel, once you're at a certain point. You can't really start taking things off no. without causing more damage than just moving forward with what you have. Yes. So, you know, it's one of those things, too. At a certain point, you have to just be like, okay, we just have to keep going here. Yes. Stucco, stucco over it. <laughs> is this, or, right. The, 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 uh, what does every cake decorator do when there's a split in the vonnet? That's where the flower goes, right? Right? Right down there. <laughs> That's where the figure exactly. sits. Hide those flaws. That's right. We, we're all really good at that. We have to be because otherwise we'd never get a cake at the door. So then, since we're all sort of on this uh, about the nature of having this, talk about how you had to ship this thing in pieces. Yeah. So this one was an interesting challenge due to its size. So the maximum size that you can make uh, an entry for the National Gingerbread House competition at the Omni Grove Park in is 24 inches cube. Mm-hmm. And this comes in at like 23 and a half or 23 and three quarters. <laughs> We're just, just under 24 inches. Um, because if you're making a carousel, right, it's got to have height, right? Because that's yeah. part of the fun and the, and the drama of it all. So I knew from the beginning there's no way we're going to be able to fly with this in just one box because of its size. So I knew months in advance we would require two airline seats to hold basically the the top part of the carousel, the crown, if you will, the roof, mm-hmm. went in its own box and had its own seat. And then the column, kind of that center middle support, and then the bottom rounded part with the um, pedal like um, cutouts, that went in its own box. And then the bigger round base uh, went as checked luggage. Um, And then all of the figures, every figure not, I'm sorry, the carousel animals, um, there were, uh, let's see, is there 14 of those? Those all were in separate boxes that all went individually as carry-on. All of the elves traveled individually. Um, And so it ended up being, we had so much luggage with the five of us, plus all of this for the carousel. We required two vehicles to go from Atlanta to Asheville. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had a a full-size SUV and a crossover in order to be able to transport everything um, in uh, what we ended up calling our um, gingerbread um, 
motorcade from Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you put little flags on? <laughs> we didn't because I'm going to have to admit this was the worst travel day I think we've ever had. Um, and it all, yeah, it all started with the TSA in Phoenix. And I will say in the past, they have been amazing. Not, not this last year at all. Oh no. Um, yeah. So the way this works is when you're taking this stuff on as carry on, uh, normally what you can do, and the TSA does have a policy that if you're traveling with an edible product like a cake, you can ask them to hand inspect it. And normally they're they're amenable to that and they will do that in the way we go. Um, on this particular day, the TSA manager was not willing to do that. <sighs> so the box that the roof part went in happened to be, I cut it down so it wouldn't be too tall. It happened to be just short enough that it could go through the x-ray machine and be fine. So I got through with the top and um, Sachiko and Yvonne and I were all through security. And then Adam and Tim had the base of the carousel plus some other stuff. And they like, they weren't coming out and they weren't coming out. And I would say, Yvonne, we sat there, what, 15, 20 minutes? Uh, waiting? At least. Oh God, that's yeah, horrifying. We're like, <laughs> we're yeah. like, something's not right here. Cause this shouldn't take this. No, long. that's crazy so, long. Yeah, so what it had happened was basically the um, manager for the TSA that morning said it had to go through the security screening belt or it was not going on the airplane. But the problem was in the box, it didn't fit. So what they eventually had to do was take it out of the box oh, no. and put no. it with no protection whatsoever on the belt. Now, fortunately, the TSA did hold back those little... Like those rubber, almost like um, car wash curtains that are at the front of that thing. So they held those back so they didn't hit it when it went through. Right. But then on the other end, it, it basically, it went through, but then Adam and Tim were held up. So other people's luggage started getting near it. <gasps> so it, it's a miracle it got through there without any damage. It did get through unscathed, but it was crazy. That's, um, I'm, I'm tense right now, and I knew it was okay. <laughs> like, I, I've already seen the results, and I'm yeah. sitting here like, ah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And, you know, I have always said the airport is the worst part. It's the most unpredictable part, and the yeah. part we really can't control. And this was by far the, the worst situation we've ever had. We, we got through, but it took a lot of, like, nerves of steel, yeah. for sure. Uh, and, you know, we bring like little candies and stuff to give to like the TSA and the flight attendants and stuff. And Tim ran over and got some. But I was like, good grief. When is this ever going to end? But we that's also why we go to the airport so early. Yeah. So we were probably there. Well, and there's another part to the story as well. OK. Um, <laughs> I'm braced. So we were also we were actually before we get to that part, because that was like the most dramatic. Southwest kept canceling the seats for Adam and I, plus the extra seats for the gingerbread because they couldn't understand why we needed all the extra seats. So rather than like reach out to us, they simply canceled not only the extra seats, they canceled our seats on the flight as well. What? So, right. So I'm trying to check in, but I can't. And Adam's parking the car and they're trying to find the reservation numbers. And there's multiple numbers and they're having to call Dallas and we're at the customer service center. And the first person I went up to at full service was like, you can't bring a gingerbread house on an airplane. That's not even possible. Thank God this woman came over. She's like, I love gingerbread. I make it with my grandchildren every year. I was like, why don't you help me? So <laughs> she was amazing and she helped sort it out. But that probably took 30 minutes. Right. And so at that point, Yvonne, Tim and Sachiko were all on the curb waiting to hear what was going on as we're like figuring out the seat problem. And then we went from that directly to this mess with the TSA. 
So, by the time we were actually in the terminal, it was already exhausting. I got to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a domestic flight. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, when I uh, was going to the Austin show still, because, you know, I suspended that when the Muslim ban came on. Uh, and now I'm not going anywhere because COVID, like, I'm not flying ever again, I don't think. But, uh, at, you know, back when I did that, the, the regular flight um, was uh, the direct flight. British Airways uh, Heathrow to Austin uh, leaves at uh, like 11.30, I want to say, or 11.37, something like that. I leave my house in Cambridge at 4 a.m. to catch a 4.30 bus to avoid the worst of London traffic so that I can get to the airport around 7 a.m. So I can Mm -hmm. queue, so I can find nice people. And I have to say, British Airways people have been really, really supportive uh, through through the years, um, and the, uh, our equivalent of TSA—I don't even know what it's called—but the security people here, the, most mostly pretty good. Uh, it's it's more chill here. Things are more chill here um, because no one's bringing a gun. I mean, that's just really like a lot of it right there. But they, I've had I've had to learn how to pack for the thought that they might they might turn my case with an entry on its side. Right. Like, because yeah. they, they will, like, I measured these things so that they will go through because I've measured it so that it can go in the um, uh, 9.25 inches of uh, underseat clearance. So, because I can't afford two seats from uh, <laughs> Heathrow to Austin. Those are 1,200 pounds. I can't pay that much money for another seat. Sure. But so I, I, so I know it fits through the machine because it fits under the seat, but they like to turn it on its side. So, and even if you put all these signs on it and say, do not turn, do not, it contains whatever. And I, I've learned the thing where you make the, the top of the box out of plexiglass so they can see yep. in it. I've done all these. And they still want to turn it on its side. <sighs> Why? Why? Yeah. Why? Usually everyone has been great. It was just this one time. Yeah. It took a, a terrible turn. And fortunately, you know, we were able to make it work. And, and thankfully, that portion of gingerbread fit under because otherwise it wasn't going to get on the plane. And then the, we there'd be no point in going because you can't take it apart. You no. Know, it's just one of those things. And so I know now to build it to where we'll have a box that's no taller than 15 inches so we can go through. So now I know. Right. So, I mean, learn, you could, but, like, I don't know, like, yeah. are there contingency plans? And I have no idea. Like, is there a FedEx in the airport? Like, because um, I don't, there may not be, but like, obviously their planes are at the airport all the time. <laughs> like, so, like, right. Like, could you, like, I wonder if that might be something to research for the future is uh, for not just you guys and what you're doing, anyone out there listening, if you think it might get rejected, Find out in advance, is there a FedEx at the airport so you could pay whatever obscene cost that would yeah. be to FedEx it to yourself to the venue? Yeah, um, we'll have to look into that. Fortunately, it did work itself out. And like I say, I'm just going to plan things slightly yeah. differently for the future knowing this and having had this experience. And again, this had nothing to do with the airline. The airline was great um, and they, they always really are. This was just and again, it, it is at the discretion of the TSA and they do have to keep us safe. So yes. we're not arguing with anything they did, but it was just a very challenging situation, to say the least. Yes. And that's why, again, you have and to get then, there early. So then you could then because that right. moment when you get it in the plane and you sit down and no one else has messed with it and you finally sit. That's when you can finally relax like eight hours later. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was going to say is that, you know, traveling with with Adam and Ted, they're so, so well prepared. And we, we had 
so much time and we were so planned out and, you know, I mean, gosh, I hate to say this, but given anything, you know, bad happening, we had enough supplies that with us that we probably could have built a whole new one. <laughs> you know, I jokingly say that, but yeah. Ted does doubles or triples of everything. And, you know, there, there would have been some other, you know, um, plan to that would have come to fruition i'm sure even if it we had to rent a car and drive it there because i don't know about shipping it that would have been yeah nerve-wracking but yeah we had so much extra time that you know thankfully we weren't you know sweating about oh no the planes you know boarding and um you know so it's all about the planning right yeah you got to be early for these things right yeah which i mean again this is part of my anxiety now is i don't want to hang out with the public and one second longer than i have to (laughs) masks or otherwise because while you guys would have been doing all this i mean okay because i watch these videos and i'm like oh my god like i'm having these because I'm I'm a shut in now, right? Um, and right. so just this pe- crowds. Even I was so I'm so impressed how many of the people in your in the crowd there at, at the event were masked. I was actually kind of shocked, honestly, to see how many were masked. But um, the situation here versus there at that time, we were in maximum numbers a day at that point. Still, uh, we still aren't vaccinating under twelves. <laughs> so like we we are still at a much higher level of screams um that you guys were i believe at a low point in numbers right then because it was before omicron hit it's all such a blur but yes i think that's correct i think so because and, and, yeah and people were masked as you say it was it was and you know the way we do it is we travel but then we stay in our own uh house rental so we're kind of off by ourselves working on this which that's not just for uh, COVID purposes. It's also because it allows us to kind of concentrate and do our thing. So, you know, we do this as safely as we can, realizing with any travel there's risk. But um, everyone at the hotel was very respectful and the other competitors, and there was lots of distancing. So I think, I, I don't, Yvonne, I don't think we ever felt uncomfortable, right? No, yeah. yeah. No, it I looked nice. The whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It looked good. Yeah. Like, um, part of it is you have to remember over here we get the – Sort of the news feeds of the, well, obviously we're now looking at the Canadian trucker uh, nonsense, mm-hmm. but we also see right. like, we see the people storming the Capitol. We see the people, yeah. um, and yeah. obviously having lived in Texas and knowing what people can be like, there's there's that, the group that's the tight-knit community that will always help, and then there's the group that uh, won't. Um, right. And so it's hard for me now to, to know, when you just say, oh, I went to an event, I'm picturing people not wanting to mask because that's so common. So when I see a room full of people mask and when you can see how many of them, it's, it's their cloth masks, which means they own those, which means it wasn't something they were just had shoved on them at the last minute. Um, You guys in your adorable matching masks, which was so cute. Um, (laughs) Like it, that makes me feel better because then I know that's something where people care and that's what I need to feel more that people care. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and obviously, uh, you know, going back to you guys having your own house, you needed that anyway, because you needed to assemble this whole piece. 
Correct. Yes, we did. But but it, but it's a great benefit as well, because it allows us to kind of be in our own little bubble, um, except, uh, you know, as we were watching the uh, great documentary that Sachiko made, it was Tim that laughed that half of that documentary is us eating and drinking. That's what I'm saying when I'm skipping through <laughs> that I'm like, I don't I'm, I don't need to watch you guys having meals. So like, that's fine. And I, it's great for you guys to have that. But because I had to be selective for the motion sickness, I was like, I only want right. to see you guys making stuff. Because uh, not that I'm snooping on your techniques at all. I'm totally snooping on your techniques. Right. <laughs> 100% snooping on techniques. Awesome. Oh, and by the way, Adam has joined us. Oh, hello. Hello. Hey. How are you doing? Late to the party. A few work things got in the way, as they often do. That's totally fine. So. Completely understand. Glad, glad that you're here now. Thanks. Yeah. Enjoying listening to the banter. I, I think you guys have covered a lot of it. Uh, well, I, this, I'm actually pretending to be a professional this time and made notes because I was watching all the videos all day long. Sometimes I cover these things and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Just tell me all the stories. <laughs> but um, which last year was more the case, because I think there was the one there was the one really longer video that the hotel itself had put out. Um, right. But, but uh, this time, because I had uh, these various things that you gave me of you talking to other entities. The the one where the ladies in your house opening your drawers kind of freaked me out. <laughs> I got to say. Oh, yeah, that was was that uh channel 12? That one I forget, you know, it's kind yeah. of a blur cuz we had a couple different people in the house, but yeah, they whenever media comes here they they're fascinated by the toolbox where we keep the tools. So uh-huh. I just accept that that's the thing they they want to open the drawers and look at the, I'm like go ahead, fine. Like, okay. <laughs> Which which I, I get that from a media perspective, but it's also your house and the thought of someone coming in my house and touching my stuff, like it's bad enough that my kids want to touch my stuff. It's like <laughs> But you like know, it's yeah. funny though, it's like going to Home Depot as a cake decorator or a cookie decorator where you go in for some part or you know, pipe, whatever it is that you're trying to get, and the helpful people at the hardware store are like, oh, you're doing that repair. You're going to need B, C, and D. And I'm like, no, I don't need any. I just need A. And they go, no, no, no. Believe me, you'll do better if we give you B, C, and D so that you don't get home and find that you need it. And I'm like, I'm not doing the repair you think I'm doing. I'm building a cake. I just need A. And then, yes, I've and done what? this. And you're, wait, you're building a what? Now explain to me. How does this go? Okay. Okay. And then they call their buddy over. And no, 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 no. Hey, 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 Janice, come here. Listen, she's making a cake with this. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think they, I think fundamentally it's the one of these things is not like the other. It's odd to put a cake tool yep. into a NASCAR size stainless steel tool chest. Exactly. <laughs> right. It just, it's unique. People are like, oh. You could do that. I mean, I've coveted those for a long time, but I know how expensive they are, and it's the size of a British house, so, you know, I can't, I can't have one. But when I saw yours, there was a little bit of envy. But then she opened the drawers, and I'm oh. like, don't open all their drawers. You can't do that. That's not nice. But <laughs> She did ask permission. Okay, that's. <laughs> I figured she probably did, and she probably there was a specific one, because she didn't actually seem to be interested in what was in it, whereas I was, because oh. I'm nosy. <laughs> I'm like, they got, you know, they got something funny. sprinkly in there. What's in there? <laughs> uh, off camera, she opened several of them and then decided which one was pretty. Yeah. And yeah. that was the one that she opened on film. It was a pretty one. It was There was something red or pink and orange in there. It was bright colored. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what was it? Rolling mat. I want, oh, okay. It's All a, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't fat. Dad. It was 
somebody it was somebody else's it, it, they weren't manufactured long but it was a it's one of those giant uh silicone mats for rolling that works great and you know like you say it was colorful so she liked it on film yep yep i can totally see that um but okay because she didn't she didn't show the drawer of uh spray paint that makes us look like you know a tagger Taggers. Yeah, that's right i have aspects of my audience who wouldn't even know what that means <laughs> so, like, oh. they, do you know they don't lock up the spray here if it, yeah right that um yeah. you can go to a craft store and just buy uh spray paint here it's not it's oh, not interesting it's not locked up in a cage no and it wasn't when i grew up in canada either so when i first moved to the u.s and i went to like a michael's or something and i'm like what did the spray paint do <laughs> why is why is it all in jail it <laughs> and it's not like there isn't graffiti other places i think it's just not quite as um quite as criminalized as it is in some parts of the state because definitely we, but but yet another yet another fine piece of non-edible thing that we use when we build bases and you know when you build carrying cases and things like that you know these are important tools just like your cake tools Yep. We all use the foam core and uh, are there actually anywhere, does anyone make a hundred percent food safe exacto blade? Oh, not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, we, we don't use exacto blades um, because they're only sharp on one side for anything right. related to food. Instead, we use actual scalpels oh, right. because yeah, yeah, they're yeah. sharp on both sides and we buy them from a vet supply place because they're meant, they're meant for, but they're the same like surgical quality as for people. And those would be food safe. They would be. Yes. Surgical safe. So, yeah. I, ironically, they are exactly the same surgical items. They're just sold differently because, as a medical device in the US, they are restricted. But as a surgical implement for your dog, they're not. I don't yeah, know if that scares me but... more than yeah. you know, being able to. But yeah, you can get them on Amazon and yeah. they cut beautifully, especially yeah. stuff like fondant and gum paste. Uh-huh. Because yep. they, they slice on both ends of the blade, and so you don't ever get the stick and pull oh, you know, right. where, the, where the fondant, you know, gets all mushed up or, or you know, distorted. Right. Because I have various uh, handles uh, that, you know, may have silicone or, or just plain or whatever, but I'm buying, I'm just buying the regular blades. I mean, I, I clean them. I wash them because they come pre-oiled. Uh, and I'm primarily using them on competition, not eating pieces, mostly because I'm not doing that level of uh, degree of cutting and finesse on something that I'm feeding to someone, you know. But, right, but I guess I also go by the, the thought of, like, how much does a blade really touch? The, you know what I mean? Exactly, like, yeah. So I, I mean, yeah, it's important that things be food safe, but at a certain point as well practicality has to kind of come into play. So I feel like sometimes you have to make a judgment call. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one thing to use like a, a metal, like luster on something. We know that's not edible, right? Or like right. that glitter ground glass and plastic. Now we know better there, but if you know, you're using exacto to cut a cookie, we're probably okay. Uh, yeah. I, that's what I would think. I mean, especially since you've cleaned it, you know, yeah. I agree. You probably didn't need to sterilize them in the autoclave, but you probably are okay <laughs> having washed them, to remove the oily residue and now all you're left with is a clean knife yeah which is frankly no different than the cake knife that the venue is using to serve your mm. your product either or what came out of your dishwasher really so right exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly so um but that's why like uh, the medical grade stuff is higher than food grade uh, yeah. Yeah. so i mean that was that came to uh mary carmen's thing where she got permission from ci to put um 
uh, fake eyelashes on a cake, on her Frida Kahlo cake. Um, and, and the, but then they discounted her for it. Uh, sorry, disqualified. Because they disqualified for, for it, it turned into this whole big thing where she had to battle to get her, uh, her bronze award back. Um, because she had received permission. So again, we always say on the podcast, if you have extra permission from a judge, print it and bring it with you. Um, but part Absolutely. of the argument for that is those are those are um, medical grade, which means they're better than food grade. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes, we obviously don't put the ground up plastic disco dust, which I can see some in the back of my thing here because I want it in Austin and I never use it, but it's pretty. Uh, well, do know that if you ever compete in Asheville, it's allowed. Um, all disco dusts and rainbow dusts are fully allowed, even if they're ground glass or plastic. Which is really odd to me because the rules are everything else has to be edible, but you can use those. So anyway, that's the rules. So we don't use it, but you could. Okay. And we we do have a small drawer of leftovers yeah. from that era when you would buy it. Yeah. And we've used it on boards. Yeah. You know the non-edible yeah. sections of displays, and it it does shine better than than the food grade stuff that you're putting on the cupcake. But oh yeah. But you know <laughs> those are the games we play. Yeah. You know it's funny. You often have to have that discussion with clients when they bring you the the color that they want and they think that you are again the hardware store that's going to using nine chemicals no one can pronounce <laughs> come up with that that exact match color and i'm like this is food we don't have exact color matching we have close <laughs> yeah well it's worse over here because okay because you can go out and buy some sprinkles in which there will be a nice bright blue mm -hmm. until very recently we could not hear because I had some that obviously I'd brought over and I ran out. And so I went to get some and I'm like, why are all the blues like, like, cause every other color would be bright and vibrant. And then the blue would be pastel cornflower, you know, which, mm. which is not that that's not a nice color, but when it's, when it's up against a, a scarlet red and a vivid purple, then it, it just looks like it's weak. Do you know what I mean? And, yep. and look, if I'm going to rainbow something, I want to rainbow it. I want rain. Mm. Oh, I don't want pastel. I want it to look like rainbow um, because I love it and it makes me happy. So I was like constantly going store to store online and whatever. And then I would I went to CI one year and I went to one of the, the stores that has like 10 million sprinkles. One of the big companies that sells this. And I said, you know what? I really want something that looks like this. And I brought them. Oh, I just blanked on the name. Uh, the U.S. It wasn't Wilton. It was some other brand. And they have a big catalog that we would give out at the show every year, and everyone wanted the catalog, and they do a lot of edible images. I'm blanking on the name. It begins with a D. Anyway. Didn't open the cupboard. Deco pack? Deco pack. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it was theirs. And so I had I had a bottle of that, and I showed them. I said, I want something like this. And they said, that's American, isn't it? I said, yeah. And she says, we're not allowed to do that color here. Oh, because of the regulation? Of because of the regulation. And in yeah. terms of my Americolor, I already knew that the Americolor, the bright blues were the ones that you had to mark as craft purposes only because of the weird E number stuff. But I hadn't realized that it's there's this particular blue, a vibrant blue that was at the time verboten. You just could not get it here. So that, that meant the judges, if they saw that on a CI cake, you're in trouble. But then it changed okay, so because a couple of years later, I was able to buy stuff that had that bright blue. And I don't know what changed in the background or who signed um, a treaty, but all of a sudden it was there. I can tell you what it was. Oh? Not actually the blue. 
it's the yellow in the blue, and it's the same reason that macaroni and cheese was different for so many years. It's the yellow dye isn't approved. Oh, okay. All right. That could be because, yeah, it's going to be one of those E numbers. One of those, one. It's just one. So, yeah, you're right. Probably right. It was probably something that gave it that glow, that oomph. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're also now struggling because you've gone before we will with uh, titanium dioxide not being allowed in food. Yeah, I saw, you know, because I have hardly been doing cakes (laughs) since I've been locked in my house for two years. um, The, uh, I haven't actually followed all the stuff, but I saw someone posting about that, and I'm like, oh, wait, what now? I, I can't use what now? <laughs> because how else are we supposed to make white? Exactly. Yes, that's the thing. Um, and, like, I hate using that stuff anyway, because honestly, it it's it's never great. It often it wants to pull other colors into it if you don't know what you're doing. Um, it get, it's got terrible bleed and all that stuff, but, like, people using it in their royal on the cookies to keep the other colors from bleeding. Exactly. Yes. So, what yeah. are we supposed to use now? Cornstarch, corn flour. Like, I don't. Yeah, I actually mm. don't know. That's the thing. I, yeah. yeah. You know, Laura Saporetti has a blog post that outlines all of this from an EU perspective. Okay. Um, yeah, and okay. So here's the question: Does it apply to me in the UK? Because we're not in the EU anymore. And like, oh, good point. But but we are for some reasons. And they change every six months as we go through the process. So we just in January 1st hit another one of these things. And so the traffic's all queued up in Kent again and you can't buy this food and the tissues. The country ran out of like Kleenex tissues because it was being oh, imported and everyone had COVID. So like everyone's blowing. Oh, right. So, okay. yeah, like we, we run out of the weirdest stuff. Because another another milestone on this Brexit nonsense hits, and there's going to be another one in April. I don't know. It's going to be some fresh meat stuff we're not going to get anymore. you got to pay a tariff on. So it, I honestly could not tell you right now what the law is if I wanted to make a cake with that stuff. I'd have to look it up. And if I even if I looked it up, whatever I looked it up on could be out of date. been interesting to learn like you say sometimes this stuff was related to regulation other times it was just related to supply chain yeah you know here in the u.s we use the clorox wipes as a disinfectant in the kitchen all the time because it's easier than making a batch of disinfectant you know and managing the towels but we learned during covid that the actual tissue the actual wipe part it's manufactured in Israel and is a byproduct of something that stopped being made during COVID. So all of a sudden, we didn't have it because halfway around the world, right. they stopped making the thing that produced it. Yeah. I was just explaining this to my learning disabled eight-year-old the other day because she asked about one product. And the next thing I know, I'm ex- trying to explain Brexit to a child who's working on spelling. <laughs> it's like really hard. But The Guardian ended up, you know what, I'll, I'll find it if I, it's still available and I'll link it in the show notes. The Guardian had a great explainer on, how, on the precariousness of just-in-time manufacturing. 
and how oh, interesting that it's not just because we often think about that with cars, right? Because because Toyota developed it, so we we often think about just in time is is getting cars, but it's but it's everything because everyone wanted to copy Toyota's incredible money making model and not have warehouse space, and and on the surface of it, that seems a great idea until because this the explainer video was talking about how it wasn't it wasn't just COVID, the floods in Germany shut down highways. So stuff couldn't get from, uh, you know, Africa and the Middle East up through Europe and then other parts of Europe up f- into Northern Europe because Germany shut down because it got flooded and we're back to floods because that's what this podcast is about. <laughs> right. All about floods. <laughs> we're all about floods here. But yeah, the, 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 way, the way these things shut, the smallest thing has such a ripple effect through a just-in-time system. And then workers, yeah. you, what are you going to do? You don't have the widget. They can't build widget, you know, two without widget one. Right. And and that's the thing from like a competition perspective that that that, you know, this whole covid slash supply chain situation has made things challenging. Like we really that's why we were trying to plan as much as we could, as far as we could in advance to allow us the time we needed to get materials sent to us. Um, and, you know, even something as simple as the custom cake boards, because there was such a demand for those that we had to wait a full month to get those. Right. So, uh, it's just, it's, it's things that, you know, two, three years ago, we could get stuff relatively quickly. Now we live in a time where you really have to plan ahead and assume things will take weeks, if not months, which in competition can be really hard because sometimes you don't realize you need something till the last minute. So yeah, it can be very difficult. So I find I tend to, when I know I need something, I just buy a lot of it and kind of keep a little on hand rather than run out. Right. But what's effectively happened is you are now the storage unit that the corporate chain didn't want to pay for. Yeah, that's that's actually a great way of looking at it. Yeah, you're right. The consumer has to be the storage unit. Yeah. Well, but you've said it too. It's not just the we've become the storage unit. It's as consumers, we've become picky because, for example, I like a gelatin that is only available in the United Kingdom. And that was easy to get pre-COVID. It's not easy to get today. I bet. But yet I picked it because of its clarity and its quality. Right? Okay, hang on. And I need to know what it is because I, I buy it. I was buying it from a store on eBay. We talked about it last year. Doc, with Dr. Oker. Oh, so you like the doc, Dr. Oker. Okay, I find it too golden. Okay, interesting. What well, we color it though, so we use it for like our gelatin um, sequins and such. Right. So, um, I mean, we, if I need to be clear, I use a special clear one for that. That's different. Okay, because I was using that, and that yeah, I think you're right. I think we did talk about this last year because I was using Knox in the U.S. and Knox is is, is a wider, clearer. Um, and whereas that's funny, the Doctor Oaker stuff, um, it, like my my blues turned green. Uh, my water looked algae infested. <laughs> oh, interesting. I guess I've only we've only ever colored it like we've done silver, gold, orange, red. Um, but I find that one has got the right level of, um, I guess, stiffness, you would say, that I can run it through um, a die cutting machine that's meant for cardstock and it doesn't break. You know what? I can. Um, yes, I can totally see that. Um, because I, it's got that like stiffness to it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I could totally mail you some, except that I'm not leaving my house. But like, <laughs> I can leave my house if you want. Like, if you're desperate, I can I can mail you packets of that stuff because oh, it's just our grocery oh, store brand. You. But uh, yeah, I know it's a grocery. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a grocery store brand. There, we can't find it here. Um, we'll I'll, we'll figure that out. I'll let you know if we need some. But we, yeah. that's one of the things we do have to figure out uh, for sure. Yeah, because I know sp- that. Uh, 
Sorry, go on. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just say that I, I specialty, I had to find on eBay some specialty, one of those, like, you're not quite sure if they're really into science health food stores. Um, and so, but they sold like kilo packs of white, white, white gelatin. So I have a kilo bag of powder in this kitchen is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. We understand. Um, when we used to teach cold porcelain. We had to send the stabilizing agent and it, looks really bad if you put it in your suitcase. So we actually had to send the the fact sheet with it for when they inspected it and were like, please, this is what this is. Here's its E number. This is the test you run to prove it's not an illegal substance. Please don't destroy it all. I need it for my class. I kind of want you to label it, uh, if you don't believe me, try snorting it. You won't like it. Someone with like with like gelatin packed in their nostrils because they thought it was cocaine. That would be hilarious, and they'd get what they deserve. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yes, and I'm sure at that point they would have confiscated it just out of spite. Right. Right. Uh, but speaking of the gelatin, I loved your technique. Talk to, so tell the tell the audience, tell the listeners about how you made the mirrors. Oh, so those are um, basically gelatin sheets, um, and so. It's using a super clear gelatin um, is kind of the trick to that. Um, and um, it's actually something I learned from Beatrice Mueller. So she was very kind to teach me. So I don't really feel like I can share it because it's really her okay. secret of how to do it. I will say, if you go back and watch when she was on the Gingerbread Championship a couple years ago on Food Network, she makes them there. So if you were to watch that, you'd probably see what she does. That's the unique part about it. Um but basically, yeah, it's just you, you melt the gelatin down and then, like, pour it. Um, I will say this, because I, I added this twist to it. I use a clear acrylic tray to pour it into, because you need, when you pour the gelatin, it's got to be perfectly flat with no scratches or anything to yep. get that nice flat finish. And I found a really nice, I think it was meant to be, like, a tray you would put on, like, your vanity for, like, cosmetics and stuff. But it works great for that purpose. Um, so I use that and then I make big sheets of it, then cut it to size in that. I think for this last year to get the different sizes we needed for the window or the mirrors, we, um, cut it with, uh, punches that you would use for paper and then went from there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for the record, I poured gelatin on, I, I habitually save super clear, super smooth plastic sheets for that purpose. Um, yep, there you go. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So particularly like if I get my kid a toy for Christmas and it's got that blister pack where it's got a really big tray, um, yep. then the outside will be all scratched because it's been in a shop. But if the inside is immaculate and you can always run a test to find out because the gelatin will tell you if there's a scratch, um, then you've got a, a like a thing with a lip. And so it doesn't matter if it pulls the lip because you can trim that bit off. But either that or my, my very, 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 very favorite mat that is curled up in a box and I don't take out unless it's like competition level has to be perfect is I bought it for a dollar in the Target bargain bin and it's just a silicone mat. Like it's, but it's perfect. It's shiny. It's pristine. Right. So, and it makes exactly. it, yep. it uh, I used it uh, again on that house uh, for CI for the, um, for the windows. Um, Yeah. And what I will say on the mirrors, the technique we used for the mirrors is so the gelatin is clear, like a clear window would be. So what's behind it is a uh, flat piece of gum paste that was um, silver leafed and then sealed with spray lacquer. 
and and then the gelatin sheets on top of that, and then the mirror frame is on top of that, and that's how we made the mirrors. Which isn't that far off of how mirrors are made, right? Right. It's, yeah, gla- it's glass over your, silver. Your glass yeah. part. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it's similar to that, but but not quite exactly the same because the problem is, as you know, you can't really put anything wet on the gelatin because it dissolves the gelatin. So exactly. I was like, okay, so instead let's put the silver on the gum paste and it's close to the way a mirror is made. Not quite the same, but close enough. Close enough. And the, well, there's the silver uh, leaf is not ever going to be as purely reflective as like, I, I see sometimes competition cakes with brilliantly reflective mirrors. And I'm like, there's no way that's edible. <laughs> like, it's just, exactly. I don't, I don't know how to make, <laughs> I, I can make you a reflective thing like at that level, yeah, the silver leaf level, but I can't and the and the, see how the gelatin is going to give it that shine that gives that little enhanced bit of but you, I if there's a way if anyone out there listening knows the way to make a real mirrored edible thing, tell us <laughs> because that's yeah, that's, that's one of those holy grails, isn't it? Yeah, and to be honest, that's why in the judging notes, I noted that those were antique mirrors because oh. in case anybody said, oh, but they're not perfectly shiny we had at least covered ourselves to say they're supposed to be antiques. So, right. you know, it's like sometimes that story you tell the judges is important as well. Yes. That's, well, and I can personally attest to the fact that Nick Lodge and I have talked about this. <laughs> so he knows very well you can't make an edible shiny mirror. That's not, that's not, at least not yet. Maybe someone's right. developing one. If you're developing one, come, come on the show and tell us. But yeah, the, they, it was a really effective technique. And I know in one of the videos you were talking about um, using the molds, to do the duplicate framing almost like in a, Oh, we're sorry. We're using molds, but I thought, well, no, you have to, you have, because they, they would have been molded pieces on an actual uh, carousel. Well, yeah. And so what you're hitting on is actually a really interesting point, Kimberly, where, you know, there's this like controversy about molds and competitions, right? So there are some competitors who will talk about, they never, ever use a mold ever, which is perfectly fine for their art. Right. And I don't, I respect that. Um, however, in the rules for this competition, there's nothing that says you can't use a mold. It does say that things that are handmade will earn more points. Right. But I think you have to look at it on balance. Yeah. So Sachiko made 64 completely handmade sculptures. So if we used a mold for the mirrors, for the frames, I don't see that as a problem because we have a, a large amount of handwork as well. Exactly. You know, if we molded absolutely everything, that's different. But I feel like, you know, as a competitor, I hate to say this, but sometimes you have to work smart, right? And, like, for the time it would have taken to make all those, like, mirrors by hand versus molding them and moving on because we had so much to do, at some point you have to kind of make a decision based on also what's practical. So that's how I feel about it. Yeah, and they had to be the same all the way around. They had to. That's part of the thing. Right. You hit the nail on the head there, Kimberly. That's the key is... You know, sometimes you want the hand-modeled look because the item you're modeling is unique. But to your point, right, the same mirror that appears eight times on the various faces of the carousel, it was designed to look identical. And the only way to get that is to replicate it in a mass production mold. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I have, you know, people who are Puritans on either side of anything (laughs) are usually getting it wrong. (laughs) That's, you know... Um, I said, except Paul, I don't, no, 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 I'm going to be a Puritan to my lefty politics, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean, okay. right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like with art, with yeah. art, if you're being a Puritan that it can only be done this way, I'm here to tell you that I do it a different way. 
Um, right. And I think you have to step back and look at the bigger picture and the bigger impression of what you're creating and then go from there. Um, but, you know, it's it's a funny thing because like some competitors will pick apart anything and like say, oh, well, they use molds or whatever. And but again, there's no rules against them. So it's just one of those things where you have to, like I say, be smart about kind of what you're doing and kind of put together the, the whole package, which I think, you know, in the end, I would say this carousel probably turned out better than any of us thought it would. I mean, we knew it was going to be nice, but because this one was so fragile and complex, we could not pre-assemble it here in Phoenix. So the year before, Santa's decor shop, that, that whole thing was assembled here. We saw what it looked like before we ever took it to Asheville. With this one, we had a bunch of pieces and parts in Phoenix, and the whole thing didn't come together until we were in Asheville. So even we didn't know what it was going to look like till like the day we were going to deliver it, which was kind of fun, but a little nerve wracking. Yeah, well. well, I think there. Are, I think a lot of people listening understand what it's like to be in the hotel room <laughs> and finally have your piece come to life right before the competition. I mean, like in your case. It had that strategic plan to it, but come on, everyone who's competed at, at shows habitually knows <laughs> about sticking that last piece on, getting two hours of sleep, and then getting up for the show. So Well, and so that's actually kind of one of our nerve-wracking stories, is the most dangerous part of this whole deal was attaching the, the roof or the crown to the base, mm -hmm. because to do that, all seven of the animals that are on the rods had to be in place as well. Mm -hmm. So basically, it was Adam and I holding the crown, and then it was Sachiko, Yvonne, and Tim holding all of the animals delicately in place while we brought the roof over and dropped it into place. And... As we were doing that, we realized um, it w there was something we had to correct. So we had to like back off and take the whole thing apart and kind mm -hmm. of redo it and then bring it back over again. And it was it was really tense. I remember, Yvonne, I can't remember what you said. Oh, I think you started like snacking on crackers you were, or pretzels. You were like, I... <laughs> so nerve-wracking that was that was probably the most intense moment out of the whole process yeah it was yeah. literally sticking that roof on and it was wild and <laughs> once we got it and nothing broke we were good but man it was really really tense because it was one of those things where you didn't have a lot of chances and having to like back away and come back and, and that upper roof is heavy too yeah, yeah I bet. In it, that roof probably weighs 15 to 20 pounds. Like, so when you're holding it and trying to keep it up high and yeah, it was, it was an adventure, I'll tell you, but uh, well, you know, we made it through again as a team, we persevered, but yeah, that, that was tricky for sure. Um, oh yeah. It was that something had to be, we had to sand it cause it was not level. And as All you right. know, having things not level is like the death in competition. So yeah. we had to fix it there at the last minute. Well, um, yeah, it, it's going to either provide stress on something or a judge is going to notice. So Right. Yeah. Well, and we would know too, right? I mean, you want to, if you've done this much work, I mean, we put in 2,000 hours of effort between the five of us. If you've done this much work and you can fix something that's not right in the end, even if it's a little dangerous to do that, it's probably worth fixing. So, you know, we went for it and it worked out. So that yeah. was, luck was on our side that day. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, talk about the, uh, the polls and how you made those because, and then so the audience knows just how fragile those polls were because that, those are not skewers. They're, well, go ahead. No, so the polls, the polls were one of the real challenges of this project, right? Because we wanted them to be like thin and kind of delicate looking, but then they had to be strong. So we tried a bunch of things. I tried buying um, like 12 inch long cinnamon sticks and soaking them to take them apart. And then I was going to try to like rewrap them around skewers to make them narrow, but that didn't work. 
Um, and then, I mean, we tried a whole bunch of things. And then one, some oddly, one day, I think it was an Instagram, this weird post came up about pasta drinking straws in Italy. And I was like, what's this? And so I went and looked, and it turns out in Italy, you know, because there's this whole movement, obviously, about all the plastic we waste with straws. So in Italy, they're actually making straws out of pasta, and it's uncooked pasta, so it's pretty sturdy, and they make it in a couple thicknesses. One would be more like a really thick one, like for like a boba tea, and then one is like thinner, like a traditional thin straw. So I found them on Amazon, ordered both sizes, and as it turned out, um, the thin ones worked. So... Um, to, to try to make them look metallic, um, they're they're um, painted multiple times with uh, confectioner's glaze and um, basically like a highlighter because highlighter is allowed in this competition as well. So I think there's either like six or eight coats on there to help strengthen them. And that's the rods. So it ends up being kind of the most simple solution because pastillage was breaking. Right. It was just it was very yeah. difficult. But, but we knew we had to come up with something and that actually worked out really well in the end. And like I say, kind of a simple solution, actually. That's really cool. In fact, so I'd heard you say in one of the things about the pasta, I thought they were, and you know, I don't know the Italian name of the pasta off the top of my head, but there's, uh, we've a couple of times here got what's effectively fat spaghetti with a hole through the middle. So they're kind of like straws, but they're not, they're not as big as drinking straws. I'm going to have to look up the name and insert it here. <laughs> so when my voice changes it, in a second, that'd be why. But yeah. Bucatini? Yeah, that's it. You got it. Bucatini. Oh, you're good at this. Because <laughs> I tried that too. Yeah. So I tried that. Because that's what I thought it was. Narrow. Yeah, it is very narrow. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. Yeah. Because the, the, your pasta sauce gets in it too. So it's... Um, exactly. It's it's very pleasing. It's kind, It's like... It's it's oh, that hole in the middle makes it an interesting texture to eat versus like uh, just like an udon noodle. Um, we like udon noodles, but like for a different application. Like if you're just having spaghetti, like I I actually like it better than spaghetti because it it holds the sauce differently. Um, but uh, my husband didn't like it as much, so we're back to regular spaghetti. But the kids thought it was great because they were trying to try to drink through it, which doesn't work after you boil it. But, you know, it's yeah. So I I thought that's what it was. So because it's interesting looking at the scale of your final piece. I thought, oh, look at those thin, delicate things. It's like those pasta straws we got. But okay, so I didn't even know about the ones that you could drink through. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I, I will tell you, though, if you do actually try to drink through them, the pasta kind of soaks into your drink after a while. I bet it would. Gross. Yeah. That's... Right? I mean, if you drink fast, it works. But well, <laughs> it's a cool idea. <laughs> yeah. But I could and... see also why a bigger, a thicker one would work because, again, physics, uh, you, you have more arch. Relative to the Correct. to yeah. the top down pressure, um, it's arches. It's math. It's math and physics. People, it works whether we know right. about it or not. <laughs> yeah, and the challenge in this case was the, those rods had to be strong enough to hold Sachiko's figures. So that was the thing. Yeah, that was... that baffles me. That koala. That's so. How, are we? We're not allowed I to know though, right? Real, there's something secret she did so that they're not as heavy. Right. So, um, they're they're not solid sugar paste, is what I would say. But I, Sachiko may want to teach later, so I, I don't feel comfortable yeah. revealing more than that for the podcast. But just realize they're not solid because if they were solid, they'd be really heavy. Right? Yeah. Because yes, I saw you say that in one of the one of those other videos, and you know I want to ask, 
I'm not gonna ask, but I really want to know. But I'm not gonna ask. But like, yeah. So uh, after Sachiko has has taught it, like maybe because uh um you know spoiler alert to the audience, they're gonna compete again. Maybe if you come back by next year, or so <laughs> someone can tell yeah. us um, if she's had a chance to to make make the monies on that. Um, because yeah, I looked at that and I was like, hmm. Mm. <laughs> like, I don't know how they did that. And to me, that's what I'm in this thing for, is I love looking at something amazing someone's made and and thinking, even if I don't have time to do the reverse engineering, just thinking it. I just like thinking about the science and how did it wait and hmm, what's going on and what's the chemistry and and I don't have enough science to know it, but <laughs> I just like thinking about it. Yeah, I would say we probably worried about those rods and the weight of those animals for months trying to figure it out. I mean, that that is one of those things where yeah. in a piece like this, starting early really helps because you need a lot of time to noodle on and experiment and try things to eventually get it right. Oh my God, that thing you just made? That was amazing! You are so good at this! Well, it was nice this year because we had more time, right? The year right. before, it was a very compressed timeline because of COVID. So we should have started earlier last year than we did. We really kind of probably started at the end of May. And we, we're starting earlier this year because, yes, we are going back. Um, we were very, very fortunate to, be, um, to win back-to-back. And, um, you know, we don't we don't do this purely for winning. Um, However, uh, we do this because we like working as a group of friends and having a project to work on together. However, uh, we are competitive and we are going to try for an unprecedented uh, three wins in a row. Yes, I I want because I know you say that a lot. And we all do that to our, you know, we're we're not in here to win. No, I want the three peat for you. How about that? I will say it for you. (laughs) Um, Not to be mean to anyone else. Um, because again, having a look at some of those other pieces, I have to say the one was it third place. I have a note here: a spin on Christmas by Cheryl Fillion. Oh, she yes, had motion in it, yes. and I was like, I want to yeah. see. I don't know her, and I I really want to see more about that piece because I'm obsessed with making gears and motion. Is okay, so maybe you know. They showed. I think it was Nick's video showed it at the back with the turning thing. Is that gingerbread yes. turning internally? Yes. So it's gingerbread gears and the ball bearings are gumballs. <gasps> oh my God. I'm in love. Okay. Like I need to, yeah. fi- I need to find this and, person. Like, like, no. And actually, if you find Cheryl on Facebook, I'll, I'll connect you with her. I'll send yeah. you her contact and you can find um, her. Yeah. She actually has some behind the scenes videos that they shot before they were manufacturing it. So okay. you can see the parts and how the, the mechanism works because it's hard to see after you encase it in the pretty wicker basket that they put it in. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Please. Please. Yes. Because that that is my nerdy eat the evidence scientist little heart right there is the the how do we how do we take these fragile media and make them do things that fragile media are not supposed to do. If I had unlimited time, I would be studying, uh, learning how to make automatons and the gears and all that stuff, Because, and then making it all in cookie. I have all these thoughts and ideas, but I'm homeschooling, so I can't. Um, but yeah, because I'm just, I'm just really, having done it once with the Da Vinci machine, it's so much harder than it looks. 
So, um, but I mean, like you are facing this stiff competition. These are, this is amazing. Like you guys winning this, if the audience isn't aware of the competition, again, we'll put, first of all, go listen to last year's where we talked more about the basis of the competition. And then, and I'll link to that in the show notes too, but also go check out, like, this was not light competition. This was epic. And to win it is amazing and well-deserved. And I'm really excited to see what you do next. Um, we're probably not allowed to hear any hints yet, are we? <laughs> well, because we haven't actually decided. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> we're not hiding anything. We don't know what we're going to do yet. Um, do, do they have yeah. a theme for next year? <laughs> no, they never have a theme for this competition. You okay. just make whatever you want. So it's up to us to come up with our own theme, and we don't have that yet either. Okay. Um, but I would say what was super cool about the experience last year was – you know, the first year when we won, that was during COVID. And it was really neat to have like a virtual award ceremony on the Today Show. But we missed all of like the pomp and circumstance of like being in the room and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe Yvonne, you could talk a little bit about what that experience was like to actually go through this in person. Because it's, it's a very magical thing to have like that winning in Austin. I don't know if what your impressions of what that was like. Yeah, the the difference between um, the first year and the second year, it it was um, so incredible to actually show up, you know, this time and see other people there, see uh, see other um, entries and see the kids' entries, you know, and, and a lot of people were there when we dropped off our piece, so it was fun. We got to see a lot of expressions of, you know, especially there was a group of, of kids that were dropping off their pieces and them looking at ours and commenting. It was so magical, mm. so much fun. And um, then we got to go to after, you know, dropping it off and like doing the whole photo shoot and everything. That was really fun because there were, you know, people there, a lot of hotel workers and, you know, and, and just watching everyone's expressions as they saw our piece. It was so rewarding because that's like probably the, the number one compliment that, you know, we could all receive is is that um, everyone just thoroughly enjoyed it. And, you know, there was just so much to see in every view you um, stood at or you know once it turned you saw something different and you know that's what we heard a lot about um, not just from the judges but from you know just other people who who got to see it in person I don't think it really um, shows that well in photos but it it's so true just every single uh, different spot you're in as it turns or as you you know look at it it's just a, a different view you see different expressions and um, when after dropping it off and then we got to go to a um, reception. So we saw a lot of the other competitors and the, the judges did a little panel um, review where they were asked questions. So it was fun kind of hearing, you know, what the judges were looking for and, you know, the, um, the things that they all, it was a lot of the same, you know, reiteration of, you know, they want to see, certain things and they want a story they want you know um the the view a 360 degree view so it was really fun listening to all this because i'm in my mind i'm going check check you know (laughs) we did all of that and (laughs) so that was really fun and um seeing it it was really really fun seeing all the little kids that were involved with this yeah and you know because we don't have anything like this on the 
the West Coast, nothing that I'm aware of. And, you know, back there um, in Asheville, it's like a, a family tradition. These A lot of families have done this since the kids were little. And, you know, it's it's so cool to see that. And, you know, the kids got up and asked the judges questions, too, which was a ton of fun. But then the the um, most amazing experience was, you know, the, the night of awards, walking into the, the ballroom and seeing all the pieces lined up on the tables and, you know, and, and how they did the awards. How Ted had given um, Sachiko, Tim and I a, a primer of, you know, kind of what to expect. But it's still it's so such a different experience being able to to be there in person and 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 everybody as you mentioned earlier everybody was very respectful about wearing masks you know i don't i don't think anyone even you know thought of any alternative other than to be there and and have a mask on that's great um yeah and you know when they're they're calling all the names and you know the the teams that oh and that was the thing too because one of my first reservations when ted first asked me about joining the team the first year was well do people do this as a team is this just like you know individuals and there were so many teams so it was really fun to see that I didn't really get to notice that last year right yeah because you didn't see them you know the the first year yeah so that was really um, cool to see too and you know being able to talk to the other competitors and um, after that night, gosh, it, it feels like a blur, but you know, it was so cool because we got to, um, take the new one, the, the second win and go replace the first one and take it out of the case and put the new one in. And yeah. it was just such an experience and, you know, being able to be there in person was, oh my, it was, it was just fantastic. It was it was such a high. It was so cool. So uh, to build on what Yvonne was saying, I know for myself and uh, Tim has mentioned this as well, that one of the favorite moments uh, was actually toward the end of the awards ceremony. And there's actually um, a much smaller kind of quiet ceremony that happens where the winner from the year before removes their entry and then the winning piece from the current year goes into the display case in the main hallway at the hotel where it stays for a year. So hotel guests can admire the winning piece throughout the year. And it's only happened two times in history of the competition uh, that the same contestants in this case, our team uh, took our winning entry from the prior year out and placed our new winning entry in. And so that was a really very cool moment. And I didn't realize at the time Sachiko actually captured that as part of her documentary. Yeah. And there is actually um, a little segment of that that's on our Instagram, which is really fun to watch because it's just a really fun moment and kind of surreal as it's happening, right? Because you're like putting it in the case and all these things are happening. And then you kind of like take a moment and step back and realize, um, you know, we have made a little bit of gingerbread history here. Yeah. And it's really, that's, it's a very sweet moment in the video. Um, because especially because you're still so reverential about the old one. I mean, not that you wouldn't be, but you know, like some people aren't. Some people at the end of a, a competition are like throwing it in the bin. <laughs> but it, it it is it's a historical thing. Okay, so I have to ask: Do you still have the 2020 piece? It's on its way back to me. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'll have it on display here at at the studio. 
That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, we would have flown home with it, but once you put it together, it doesn't fit on an airline seat anymore. Mm-hmm. So we had to kind of figure a way to make some ground transportation work to get it from the southeast to its final home, which is going to be at Yvonne's um, Sugar Art Studio in San Diego. Okay, yeah, because I was going to say I'm having a oh, yeah. um, a custom case made for it to be on display. Yes, yeah, I I, I put my favorite piece in a. I managed to find an acrylic box big enough. Um, that's those. That's not cheap. I know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is why I understand the school of thought of just get rid of it. But I don't want to because I worked no. really hard on it and it got a prize and other people liked it and it was meaningful in its art. So, yeah. That's why it's sometimes a relief to be a sugar artist because you then make the cake and it goes away and someone eats it and it's gone. <laughs> well, right. I will also say I was very proud that there were a couple of um, issues that occurred, but that's because last year with COVID things didn't go the way they normally go. So with the piece last year, right, we dropped it off and then it sat before it went into the the winner's case for like three or four weeks. And then there was a little bit of humidity damage, but that's all the damage that happened. Once it goes into the case, there's these really bright lights to keep the humidity down. So really for as quickly as we had to make that piece last year, it held up really well. So I'm hopeful that this year's piece, because it went into the display case right away, uh, will be, you know, in just the same condition when we go next year because we will certainly be removing this one next year and then who knows if we win again or not if we'll be putting a new piece in there or not but it's a really fun thing and it's kind of like it reminds you of the history of this competition and this will be the 30th year of the competition so it is um, definitely one that's been around for a long time yeah and you want that 30th prize it's okay to say it and i'll say it for you we do, yeah, <laughs> we do. indeed we do no, I, no we've been very clear about that we yeah. said that in our media interviews already oh no yeah. no we're we're going for a third win but yeah. if we don't win it, it will be we will have still had fun and enjoyed ourselves yes because at the end of the day if we were only doing this to win at this point having won twice you're we're kind of going in with everything to lose and nothing to gain if all we cared about was winning but exactly. as long as we have fun as a team whatever happens happens there but we will definitely give it a hard try and you know, we're competitive people and we're definitely going to go for it. But as you said, there are some amazing gingerbread artists. And and we know that, you know, there are definitely people who are going to give us a run for the money every year. And, and we love that. That's part of the competition. Yeah, it's no fun winning against uh, no one else in the race. That's that's a right. empty. <laughs> I've won. I've won some things like that. And I'm like, oh, I won. Oh. Okay. Yay. <laughs> like it's not it's really not that thrilling. I would rather like just in me emotionally, I, I get a bigger high out of even taking second or third in a really tough competition. Like my bronzes at CI, because remember so CI is one of those things where um everyone in a category could get a bronze, silver, or gold, and then the top three golds win first, second, third, right? Um so it's bronze is not a limited thing. Um, I've never got higher than a bronze and I have occasionally been disappointed at that. Like the piece I have in a case, I, I, I think it should have got a silver and I've been told that in a different year it would have got one and that's a bit disappointing. But I'm really proud that I can get bronzes at CI because uh, if 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 I sucked, I wouldn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> like a bronze at CI is worth right. something. So... 
Right. Yeah. It's it, yeah. And yeah. when they call this one the like g- the Olympics of gingerbread, they're not really kidding, right? This mm-hmm. is really a world class competition. And yeah. Like I mean, Greer's piece, the uh, the Nutcrackers, they were really, incredible. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Cheryl and Bill's piece was incredible, and really, I mean, um, there were all the pieces in the top ten. They were all so different. And all amazing. So, yeah, you're right. It's one thing to, like, if you win, but, like, the competition was just, like, okay. It's another thing to have it at this caliber and then be successful. It, it feels very rewarding, 100%. Yeah, yeah. and you're, you're absolutely right. And I say this over and over again on the show. The way to approach competition is to want to win. There's nothing wrong with wanting to win. There's nothing wrong with the pride in winning, even though, like we said from the top, we were sort of various and cultured to say, you know, we'll pretend like we don't want to or whatever. But um, <laughs> if, the, if that's if that's your be-all and end-all, you are setting yourself up for disappointment eventually. Like, you just are. Something's going to go wrong. If you, if you, if you mm-hmm. can't handle not winning, and we have some people in this industry who I will not name, who cannot handle not winning, who have had some epic, mm-hmm. famous meltdowns. Uh, and it doesn't go well for their career later, I have to tell you, because no, no right. one wants them back to teach or whatever after they've had an epic meltdown. The diva thing doesn't go well for them. And uh, whereas when people, when you see someone crying because they've, they're happy because they've taken, they never expected to place and they've taken third, that, that warms my heart, right? And then if they win, mm-hmm. like, so, you know, and with the kids, when a kid wins something, like, oh my God, all the tears. <laughs> like, you just, like, even if it's every kid gets a prize, which is the way it is at Austin, they're so happy. There's so it's it, it's meaningful and it's not just everyone gets a prize because everyone gets a prize because it's everyone has tried and that is being honored and I like competitions that honor everybody and the but the excel you know the the excelling person can still rise to the top does that make sense it does and I would say that that's exactly what the the National Gingerbread House competition is in this case and I think it's something and I, and Yvonne kind of alluded to this as well. It's something that we try and be very respectful of because we know this competition has a very long history. There are some people that have competed 15, 20 years. Yeah. So um, we consider ourselves just extremely fortunate to be able to participate, um, let alone to have won two times in a row. So we don't take this lightly. We take it as a, you know, a great responsibility to be ambassadors for the competition. And we especially love that they do have their, um, I think that the divisions are child, um, youth, young adult, and adult. And they have had people that have literally started as little kids and worked their way through all of those divisions, which is yep. super cool. It is. So you can like see a path of like future sugar artists there. And honestly, sometimes the kids have some amazing, I think it was the the young man who won, maybe it was the youth division. He did a Zoom with Santa was his piece and it was adorable. Oh, so, I saw that piece. Um, it was the, in one of the vids. Yeah. It's super yeah, cute. Yeah, the kids have such cute ideas. And so it's really fun to see them there and them being excited, um, as well as the adults, right? But, like, sometimes the adult division gets a little competitive. So it's kind of fun to see all the different divisions and everybody having a good time. Yeah. Oh, and, and again, that, that's why 
one of the best volunteer jobs you can have at Austin is if you get to be on the team that goes around and names the awards for each kid because you run out of best mm. Star Wars after about four kids or best Batman right. after like that was go quick so you have to start saying best Batman utility belt or best Millennium Falcon so you have to and then they then there's someone from a video game that none of us know what the video game is <laughs> like someone someone oh, no. younger come tell us dinosaurs <laughs> what the hell this game is because we have no idea but but I mean we've you know, Tyler Gary <laughs> started in teen, I think, at the Austin show, uh, and didn't think mm-hmm. didn't think he was that great. <laughs> and Nick Lodge was like, yep. who, "Who made this cake? <laughs> I will mentor this person." And he's Tyler Gary. We, you know, he's amazing. So it's important to all of these to the sugar arts industry as a whole, but then to each little facet of it that we that we do that that we respect younger kids make them feel welcome never make them feel punished because i've seen what happens and my kid my older kid doesn't make cakes for competition anymore because mm. of an unpleasant ci judge and that's all i'm gonna say on that uh uh-huh. that person's not there anymore so but she has soured on it she doesn't want to do that anymore mm. um and it all that's it takes t- is that yeah. one person to make to deflate you um and you go on to something else as a kid right so yeah, that's terrible that 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 happens. I, I will say what the Omni does that's super cool, and of course this is also you know um, Chef Nick Lodge is the head judge. They have a, a really varied group of judges. Yeah. So there are several very skilled sugar art judges, but then they have uh, you know a curator from the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, and then they have Carla Hall who you know is uh, obviously a culinary celebrity, but she's not really a sugar art person. And so they come at things a little bit differently. And I think you get a more balanced judging as a, as a result. Yes. Because there's people there to check your technique, but there's also people there looking at it from like a point of art. And it's, you know, I think you get um, in the end a more maybe balanced judging because they have all the different perspectives coming together. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, again, in Austin, uh, in the past, there's been like when we had the, the 2010 category, which, I mean, I, I'm a bit biased because that's where I won. Um, the, our theme was science fiction and fantasy. So one of the judges was a sci-fi nerd, right? Mm-hmm. Who knew nothing about cake, but who could look at mine and go, she made Hal. <laughs> she made Hal's brain on the underside of the skateboard. And when everyone else is like, what? Yep. This guy's like, no, that's Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer. Like, he knew what that was. I never met him. I actually don't know who it was. I just know, because there's the whole, you got to keep the comp- competitors and judges separate in that sort of venue. But when when you bring something like that in, whereas I, and I don't honestly know if CI does that, but I've noticed that by and l- large fandom cakes don't do as well. I mean, if someone mm-hmm. knocks it out of the park, it can still do well. I'm not saying you can't do it. Um, but I have seen some cakes there that, as a fan, I'm like, this is 100% accurate to this movie. Oh, my God. This is amazing. But it only got, like, a bronze or a certificate of merit. Um, possibly because the sugar art was not as amazing. But it was amazing for what it was. Right. Um, like, you know, aliens, because they're cracked and they're gross right like a, a xenomorph or something like that um and then but then i've also seen at ci uh, a cake that got uh gold that had the worst batman i've ever seen like that's not what bat no <laughs> like that's it no that mm, mm, there's no iteration of batman i'm not talking about the face i'm talking about 
the proportions of the cape and the mask and the 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 symbol wasn't right. You know, like it was like it was uh the the wish wish the Batman you ordered on wish. Um and I I remember like cuz I don't want to denigrate the person who worked on it cuz you know, it was an okay cake, but why is that one gold and the one over here of the the erupting xenomorph only got bronze and okay, you can say, well, one's objectively cleaner sugar art and that's a valid way to judge a show i'm kind of in the camp of yeah but i like the nerdy stuff better personally so yeah um but yeah so different shows have different flavors you got to know what you're going in for and and i think when you have like what you've described that that more variable judging which, frankly, to be fair, comes with a smaller show. You can't, if there if there were yeah, five thousand entrants true. to this, you can't have five people judging each entry. That's just you know to be fair. Um, but yeah, it it gets you that that someone can say, well, maybe the stripes aren't all one hundred percent, but the colors are amazing. I mean, I look at some of those judges, and obviously I know some of them, so I know that when you've got, like, Mark Seaman and Nick Lodge together, even there, you're getting two two very different... You're getting royal icing and chocolate. You're getting um, mm-hmm. two different levels of excellence that come together and not oppose. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, different aspects of the industry, right, which is good. And as a competitor, you have to kind of then step back and when you're designing, think about how are we going to appeal to all these different judges with all these different backgrounds? Because normally there's, I think, 10 judges this year. There were nine. Um, so that that's kind of a fun strategizing piece for us that we think about as we're in our planning phase. Do all nine see all pieces? Yes. Okay. So yeah, that is, that is definitely a small show feature. <laughs> you're, not, you're never going to get that at a bigger show. They just logistically, you'd have to have an army of them. Uh, and CI does yeah. already have an army of them. Uh, y- yeah. Although the show has done it when they had like 500 houses, they've done it this the same way. So what they do, it's really interesting. So there's four divisions, and the way the judging starts is that each judge goes through with like a sheet, and they walk through and judge all of the pieces in the division. And they list their top 10 in order of first to number 10 in each division. Okay. Then the hotel takes all those sheets and tabulates them. And they come back with the 10 entries with like the lowest totals, right? So technically, if all 10 judges voted you first, you'd have a total of 10. And you'd be house number one going into the final judging. So basically, they do a prelim round where they all judge individually. Then the hotel tabulates. They come back with these are the top 10. Then the 10 judges go from house to house together and discuss each of the 10. And then they all go and vote separately once again, ranking the top 10 or ranking the 10 houses one to 10. And then the hotel tabulates and in secret doesn't reveal the results until awards. So even the judges don't know who won. Yeah, I think that's good. The more you remove that aspect of it and because we, okay we don't want it to be just a pure bot like numbers game that's that's not by removing the judges one step further and letting the hotel tabulate i can see how that uh it really protects the judges 
Right, exactly. And so it creates, and it's, you know, the way they've done it for years, right? And and they're kind of their own thing. And like you say, they're not like a bigger sugar show. So they kind of do it their own way. And it's interesting. And I, I like it because I think it, it, you know, keeps things as fair and as neutral as they can. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's good, as it should be, right? It, exactly. I mean, that, that's how all this should go. Yeah. Because, I mean, also at the end of the day, it's all subjective. So it's, you know. Yeah, it's it's it can be. I mean, me, you know, I've got a teenager, so we're constantly saying, "Hey, you know what? Like, you, your math classes, the answers right or wrong. Uh, your English classes, you got a teacher who loves you. Your grades are going to be better. Sorry, that's just the reality. If you have a teacher you're fighting with, then you know bias creeps in, and and these things. We're human. We're all human. Um, but we don't want to strip the humanity out of it because it is art and. It is about being human. Exactly. Right. You guys. The one thing I wanted to add to that, speaking of the judges, is because I haven't ever competed before the first year of this, uh, you know, that we did our our piece. Right. And, um, you know, I've gone to shows and have watched, you know, looked at all the pieces. And so I've never been judged. And after seeing the photos from the first year with the Santa Secret Shop, the professional photos I like I couldn't breathe while I was watching or going through the photos of the judges looking at our piece because you could tell how intense the judging was mm-hmm. like they really scrutinized each and every you know inch of that piece and you know poked and prodded it and, and that was just from watching or, or looking at the the professional photo so it's amazing you know and the amount of work and and dedication that the judges you know put into this it's it's just it's incredible so you know it's such an honor to to win, you know, that, um, gosh, it's just been such a big, just an experience for me, you know, as, as a, you know, first and now second time competitor. And I can't wait till the third. And, you know, winning that third, it's just going to be amazing because no one's ever done it. Yep. <laughs> well, and so he, here's, here's the thing. If you don't, which we all accept as mature, rational adults, right. that is a possibility. Right. You know what you got to do then? You got to go three more in a row after. Uh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but I will say this. Um, in the history of the competition, no one has won more than three times um, non-consecutively. So if we can get to four, I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you retire? Retire then into your gingerbread uh, villa? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, that, that's a, maybe a fifth go just because. But at some point, there will be an end to this insanity. But I think we're all still having a great time and enjoying it. So let, let's keep going, right? Uh, I look forward to you keep going. Uh, I, I, th- I think our listeners are cheering you on. Uh, although if I get if I get uh, Cheryl on too, then, then, then ooh, we got to have some divided lit. Not really, because the thing is, I just like it when my friends win, and even uh, I love it when even my friends win against other friends because you know they're all happy for each other, right? Right. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and that is the maturity of it is when you can look at something else that won and go, yeah, that's awesome. You made something awesome, and I am happy to lose to you. That's right. exactly. Yes. That's when you've hit the pinnacle of competitive zen as as a, as a lack of a better word is to be able to go, yeah, uh, you beat me and you deserved it and I'm happy for you. Uh, and not just not just gritting your teeth and doing, oh, I'm very happy for when you legitimately <laughs> look at something, and go, oh, my God, you nailed this. Right. Mine was good and I'm proud of what I did. 
but yours was better. Congratulations. That's, that is a, a good feeling. It's a, it's, right. it's, it's heavenly. It's transcendent to be so happy for a friend and still happy for yourself and happy for both of you. That's pure joy. Awesome. Right. Exactly. And that's what competition should be. Yes. Um, it is noise. <laughs> Sometimes you're really upset. Like that's. <laughs> I want to pretend. Yeah, that's why I said should because it's not always. <laughs> because <laughs> and if you're if listeners are out there thinking, well, I didn't feel that way because I felt like that judge Rod robbed me. It's like you know what that judge may have also robbed you because that is also legitimately part of the problem sometimes. <laughs> but you know, you got to you have to be willing to accept loss, to accept the subjective nature of it, and accept that you don't win. And if you can't emotionally, I say this to my kids all the time, if you can't emotionally handle this set of consequences, do not do this set of actions. Mm-hmm. That's, that's life. That's cool. Yeah. But anyway, I am so glad you were on again. Um, I'm going to go ahead, unless you object, to just pre-book you for next year. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sure. We'd love to come back. Because you know what? just like we said last year, we'll talk either way of what happens, right? Like, because it'll be an experience either way, right? Right. Well, I just like uh, I'm I'm now invested in the serial nature of this competition. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, as a podcaster's media, whatever, I I I'm already like I want to know what happened. But like, when's season three? Come on, producers! <laughs> Come on, when can I stream season three? Uh, you want to see what other tragedy is going to come up? In my <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for what? Okay, can 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 someone wrap Yvonne in some bubble wrap at least from the waist down? <laughs> oh, okay. I had one quick other question, and I think it's a short answer. In one of the videos, I think it's Sachiko's video, there's a picture of what looks like a bunch of die-cut wafer paper, or is it gelatin sheets? And is that the trees? Is that how you made trees and wreaths? Yes, um, it is. um, So it's wafer paper that is uh, printed. So it's white wafer paper, and then a slight color is printed on it. So there was um, a light green and a light pink, and then there was the white. And then to, we found if you just like punch the wafer paper, it's too brittle and it like kind of cracks and breaks up. Right. So we actually brush it with a Flexique. Okay. Um, yep. And we, yep. And we use actually their glue. So there's the regular Flexique you mix up yourself and then there's the glue they sell to like stick Flexique to Flexique. Mm-hmm. But it turns out the glue at like a hundred percent works great to actually brush onto the wafer paper sheets and let it dry. And then we um, use, um, it's like a craft punch to make those little fine, right. like almost like um, need, uh, fur bow kind of things. And then they're stuck on with, um, so we molded gum paste forms. And then Tim created the uh, wreaths and the trees by applying those wafer paper pieces with little bits of piping gel. Okay. Yeah. I thought that it might be some kind of wafer paper when I saw the finished piece. But it then, cause like I said, when I was sort of jumping through Sachiko's video, and I, you had, there was like one scene, there was like a pile of them in a box that had been punched out. Yep. And I was like, yep. oh, I got to ask about that. Okay, yeah, I can see that. And I can see how I, you know what? I've never actually used Flexique. I have in this cupboard a free sample. It's, I don't know if it dries out because it's still sealed. It was in a Cake Masters uh, Awards bag. Oh, cool. So It's really cool. It's yeah, really it's, cool. It's one actually. of those things that I have. Um, I have a thing called the potion problem. Uh, this is a Baldur's Gate okay. reference. So again, deep nerdery here. In Baldur's Gate, it's one of these role-playing games. It's a video game, and you, and you go through and you beat up monsters, and you gain levels until you beat the biggest monster at the end. Okay. 
But through this, you have to collect items that help you, including potions. And while some potions are just basically healing potions and you take them all the time and you have to go through them, some things are special objects. And if you use them too soon, you may not have them at a level where you need them later. So it's one of my little... I'm sure a therapist, if I could ever talk to one without being terrified, would would have terms for this. But it's one of my little oddities is I, if there's a limited quantity of something that's special, I have a really hard time using it because I'm worried I'll need it later. Even when it's something like Flexique where I could buy more. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, because I've I've done so many crafts where uh, the yarn is no longer in print. You have the two balls you bought, and that's it. You can't ever get it again. Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 it builds up, and so, yeah, we call it the potion problem as an homage to Baldur's Gate, that the, 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 the potion you saved till the end of the game, the game is now over, and you still haven't used it. Gotcha. And so okay. my, the flexique in this cupboard right beside me, is it's a bit of potion problem. It's Because it's, it's, it's not a cheap product. It's a, it's a little harder to get over here. It's a bit more expensive because it's an import. So I, I'm, I'm saving it for the special thing, and I probably could have used it six times already. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have several things, and that's why I have too much crap in my kitchen because of all the stuff that's potion-problemed. <laughs> okay. I got so, you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one, it, it is amazing how flexible it will make wafer paper. Yeah. Um, and like durable. And it's, you know, the whole idea of Flexique was to make like um, a fabric. Yeah. And at least here, and again, it depends on where you're working with it, right? But I found here in Arizona, if I use just the Flexique, um, the way you make it normally, it makes the wafer paper too flexible. Whereas, because, you know, if it's going to, it's got to have some stiffness to it still to kind of look like pine boughs. So I found the glue works great. And they were super kind to send me like a giant vat of the glue. Um, and then I just melt it in the microwave and away you go. That's that's really cool. Yeah. And they're, they're very generous as a company with that. I know. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, sure. That, that, yeah. that is they're... definitely good to, for people to think of because, uh, well, it's, it's February now, but <laughs> for next Christmas when people are making Christmas cakes... That would that would or cookies, because there is that problem of if you like yeah you can pipe a tree or mold a tree but then you've got all these fragile little bits that stick out which particularly for cookies you can't stack them <laughs> because they're all gonna snap so I, right. I I bet the flexique would make like I could see doing your technique there for the wreaths or trees on cookies that you wouldn't want to stack them high but if they're on a plate going somewhere they're not instantly going to snap off into a bunch of broken royal icing boughs. No, they remain somewhat flexible, yes. Yeah. And so they have a little bit of give, which is really nice for that very reason. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Is it still yeah. sticky? Do you think, like, if if someone stacked things, would it stick to the th- next thing, or is it does it dry if enough? You make it, yeah. If you make it far enough in advance, it's not sticky. Okay. The other thing is I do put it in the dehydrator to kind of speed that up. So, like, I'll make my sheets and dehydrate them between, to keep them flat, I'll put them between a couple of the, like, mesh sheets that come with the dehydrator. And usually overnight, they're fine. And then then they're, like, dry enough not to be sticky. I think if you just paint it on and if your area is a little humid, they might be a little sticky. Okay. So, it's just something you'd have to kind of mitigate. Right. Uh, But a dehydrator will fix that. Yeah, I need one of those. I have nowhere to put it. Uh, Again, they take up space, but currently we have... 
three in my place. We have one at Tim's. And Yvonne, you have, do you have one or two dehydrators? I have two. There you go. So it's, I contemplated <laughs> buying a fourth this year because I was like, I really could use another one at home. <laughs> it's it's one of those dream purchases for me, but yeah. For sure. But when you're doing like these kind of projects with all of these oh, yeah. like, pieces that need to be dehydrated and you're making multiples, you suddenly start running out of room and you're dehydrators. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they it, are. If you do a lot of cookies, they're amazing. If I was so. selling cookies, 100%, mm-hmm. it would cost yeah. justified yeah. In, in, a, in a single order. But mm-hmm. I wasn't selling before COVID. I've made nearly nothing since COVID. I have all these right. ideas, yeah. but uh, I really want to get back to making stuff. But right now, uh, a podcast a month is my kind of my max. <laughs> so, but anyway, actually, I think the podcast is is an amazing contribution because I think you're really sharing a lot in the sugar art community, and it's really cool that you created this platform for folks to come on and and really kind of speak to different aspects of the industry. And I like that you talk very openly and frankly about stuff that's going on. And I think you you make a great contribution Aww. with this. So thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. That means a lot. I know, and it's fun to to um, you know get to know other sugar artists too. Yeah, through your podcast, that's fun. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah, because yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it sort of has kind of collapsed a little bit to more i haven't asked strangers quite as often although i did just today she's just someone on posted on facebook about having a new magazine and she posted in the capital confectioners group and i'm like you want to come on my podcast and talk about what it's like to start a magazine and i didn't expect oh, her that's to, cool i didn't expect wow. her to say yes and she did and so she's going to be the april episode we're skills cool. yeah so but mostly what the podcast has sort of <laughs> devolved or evolved <laughs> depending on how you look at it is my friends come on and we uh, we talk about stuff <laughs> There, there will but you be happen to be day. friends with some really interesting sugar art people. Well, so I'm picky about out. my friends. <laughs> <laughs> if I like you, you must be pretty awesome. Um, boy, that, <laughs> now we're into the hubris. But, uh, I mean, no, there's like, I, we, I made the decision last year, and I'm going with it this year, uh, and it's now it's tentatively booked. September uh, is uh, Scott Russell and Sarah Culverhouse and I. We're going to talk about Star Trek and cake for as long as oh, we want. that's cool. And, and oh, how cool! It's just like it's us three real Star Trek nerds are gonna trek out. We're not gonna worry about saying, "Oh, sorry about including Star Trek." We're just gonna. Ner- I've already named it after a line from Dis- uh, Discovery: "Cake is eternal," because a character actually says that. She says, "Cake is eternal." Um, so yeah, we're gonna nerd out. It's gonna record it in August for the September episode, and yeah, we're just gonna. We're just going to nerd about cake like because we can, because there's so much cake and food in Star Trek. Um, but there will be many digressions about warp cores. So. <laughs> That's cool. Love yeah. it. Can't so, wait to hear it. Well, uh, like I said, it, it, when you posted that review, uh, was that, the how, that was 40,000 years ago COVID time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 I was on cloud nine for like a month. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I need to. It's been like six months since I checked for reviews. I should probably. They don't come very often, so I should look. I again. know. Yeah, that's the thing, right? <laughs> I used to habitually check month after month, and then that got a bit depressing. So I haven't checked in several months. I should. I should go do that. So if anyone wants to make my day, <laughs> this won't be out. I'll try to remember to check before I put this episode out. And then it'll be months again before I check. But uh, or just tell me if people told me that hey, I just reviewed your podcast, I'd be like, oh my god, or my books, review my books. That makes me so happy. Mm. But um, but yes, 
Uh, I should wrap up because it is 1230 a.m. And uh, you guys have been great as always. And you make the coolest stuff. And you, uh, I meant it earlier. You're like, you're so wholesome. Everything. You, and like you're surrounded by wholesome layers of wholesomeness. And it's, it's happy making, not just for the art, but for what great people you are and how great you work together and how supportive you are with everyone in that community. And, and it is a joy to have you on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's a real honor, and we greatly appreciate it, Kimberly. It's always lovely to talk with you. And I'm wishing you the best of luck for next year, uh, and no pressure. <laughs> thank you. We're going for three in a row, and we'll, well see what happens. I'm, I'm cheering you on, uh, and can't wait for awesome. you to come on and talk all about it, no matter what happens. Even if it, you know, breaks before you get there, I want to hear about it. <laughs> so, And I will cheer you on awesome. even That's then. That's a deal. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, say thanks to the rest of the team for me. And I look forward to talking to you another time. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been the Eat the Evidence podcast. A warm thanks to all of my contributors. And you can find out more about them and the things discussed on today's episode in the show notes by visiting the podcast section of the Eat the Evidence website, eat-the-evidence.com slash podcast. There, you'll find social media links as well as links to iTunes, Stitcher, and other places where you can subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. I've also posted detailed instructions on how to leave me a Facebook voicemail message and other options to call into the show. Please do feel free at any time to call in your very own cake formation, funny story, talk about a challenge you're having or have recently overcome, or rant about something driving you crazy. And if you like the show, please post a review on iTunes and share it with all of your sugar artist friends. This show was produced and edited by me, Kimberly Chapman. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, you are an amazing artist and everyone involved with this podcast supports you. You can do it. Until next time, bye-bye and good luck with whatever you're working on. At some point, there will be an end to this insanity, but I think we're all still having a great time and enjoying it, so let's keep going, right?